This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and I am so glad you guys are back for episode 11. Um, before we get started, I wanted to comment a little bit on episode 10. Um, I called it my personal therapy session, and I shared with you guys about some of the hardships that I'm going through as far as you know being financially flat broke and getting my food from food banks because I can't afford food um, and toiletries and things like that. The outpouring of support that I've gotten you know, since doing that episode in the last week, um, has been nothing short of amazing. And, um, you know, people are offering to send me money. People are offering to send me food. People are offering to send me toiletries. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I will say this though, I didn't do that episode, um, for that purpose. Um, I did that episode to show you guys that no matter what, no matter how dark this road gets, no matter how unclear the future seems, um, no matter how difficult the circumstances get, um, I did it to tell you that I am fighting and I am going to persevere and I'm not giving up. Um, so that being said, I don't feel comfortable accepting people's money um, or offers and I might live to regret that down the road, but that's not why I did the episode. And um, I am so, so grateful to all you guys reaching out to me and, and you know, giving me those offers. And um, it's just amazing. I have such a good support system, you know, with all you listeners out there. Um, I have some friends um, who have, you know, I mentioned the, in episode 10 who are really super supportive. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and this podcast has been a godsend. But um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, uh, also, I want to remind you guys, before we get into this next episode, oh my God, I'm so excited for this next episode. Um, but before we get into it, I want to remind you, if you'd like to be a part of this show, you can email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. Also, um, I'd appreciate it if you guys follow me at uh, dimming underscore the underscore gaslight on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I I'm really, really thankful for all you listeners out there. Um, as I mentioned, I have such an amazing show planned for you guys. Um, I'm so excited to, to for you guys to hear this one. Um, let's get to our next episode. All right, everybody. So you guys are in for a very special treat today on today's episode. I want to introduce my new friends, Chris and Lisa from Been There, Got Out. Guys, you want to say hi to everybody? Yeah. Hi. Yeah, it's hey. great to be here. Thanks so much for having us, Mac. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. Now, Chris and Lisa are high-conflict divorce coaches, so I'm really excited to have them on the show because 
when I first started doing my research about narcissistic personality disorder, these guys were one of the first people that I followed on all of Instagram. And, and I, I watch all their videos. So Chris and Lisa have so much great content on their pages. They have everywhere from like mental health experts, narcissistic abuse survivors, lawyers, just everything you can ask for when you're you know doing your research about NPD. You can visit them on beentheregodout.com. They have Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all those you know different social media platforms. You can follow them on Been There got out. And I'm very excited to have them on the show and to, you know, just touched on what you do when you're going through a divorce with a narcissist. Um, so Chris and Lisa, welcome to the show. I just want to get right into it. So one of the first things I wanted to talk about when you always um, hear about going through a divorce, especially with a narcissist, um, you always hear, how do you go about finding a good lawyer? You know, find yourself a good lawyer. Do you guys want to talk about that? Well, yeah, it's, 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 that's really, really important. We just had a call today with someone where she was a little surprised when we said, you know, the lawyer doesn't necessarily need to understand narcissism, right? But you do want one that's experienced with high conflict. As long as you understand narcissism and the behaviors, especially the behaviors, because we don't diagnose anyone, mm-hmm. you know, you can tell the attorney what to expect. And we always, that's another thing we talk about a lot is to having strategic oversight of your case and not being led by the attorney. Because so many people... You know, they go, they're in a toxic relationship. They finally decide to go out. And what do they do? They throw themselves at the feet of an attorney saying, save me, save me. And guess exactly. what? Never toxic. Yeah. So we always tell people you have to be careful not to throw yourself into another toxic relationship. And that, you know, you come out of this, this place where you, you gave the authority to somebody else. And this time you're going to be spending a lot of money. So we, I think right. what we should maybe talk about some of the red flags with attorneys and then we can get into some of the questions. So for example, uh, well, first of all, with finding an attorney, you, what, you, you can look at some websites, but for me, I, I found an excellent attorney by asking a friend of mine who worked in the courthouse mm-hmm. and she gave this, this guy who it ended up, we had been to the same college. <laughs> we were a year apart and that was just a crazy coincidence. Oh, wow, small but, world. But he was like a really nice person mm-hmm. and uh, we clicked immediately and I just, I felt like that was a great one. But I know that if you don't have a friend in the courthouse, another good thing to do is to speak to someone who's also been through a really difficult divorce. Right. You can't again, just look on AVO, AVVO.com, but it's better to find someone who's been through a difficult divorce and ask them if they could recommend someone. Yeah, it's always super beneficial. That's actually how I got my lawyer was through word of mouth. Um, I interviewed, I, you know, I did probably about say three to four consultations with different lawyers. Um, ultimately I ended up going with, so my lawyer actually on his page has um, sort of like a blog, but they all say they know about narcissism. Right. And when you come to them, you say, I'm married to a narcissism, a, a narcissist. And they all go, yeah, we all are. But um, he actually had like a blog, like, you know, like um, where he talked about different signs of uh, going through, you know, marriage with a narcissist and leaving them and that kind of thing. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, all right, this is my guy. Right. So um, yeah, that's good. So tell me a little bit more about these red flags you were mentioning when, when you're looking for a, an attorney. Okay. So one thing that we tell people to watch for is definitive language. Like if any attorney guarantees you results, that's a big red flag. You don't, they're not the only thing that's ever really guaranteed is child support. That's based on a calculation, at least in America. So if you hear words like, you know, always or never, or this is what's going to happen. Like that's a red flag. They're not allowed to do that. Mm. Um, Another thing is 
if there's a sense of proprietariness where they, they seem like, well, you know, I'm the lawyer, I'm the expert on this, let me handle everything. Chris and I, and a lot of our colleagues and partners that we have all believe that this is part of a team approach and that you're the one who's really in charge and your lawyer, it's Chris likes to use the example of like, you're the CEO and everybody else is working for you. So you can't have one of your employees saying you have to listen to me for everything. Certainly a lawyer knows a lot about the law, but you still have to keep in mind that some of the choices you make or the agreements you sign are going to affect your whole life. And that to, to lawyers, as well as most people in family court, it's just a business transaction. So you right. have to keep that, you know, keep that in mind. Another I got thing some, too. I got some go good advice from somebody too, who told me that your lawyer should not be making the decisions for you. They should be mm-hmm. giving exactly. you the, the considerations, like all of your options, you know, here's option A, option B, option C, and they, but they shouldn't be really uh, like turning you towards making a decision. You should be making that on your own based upon all the information that they give you. And I would think that's a red flag. If he goes to show you, you know, you should do this, right? Like you should be able to form the opinion yourself. Right. And my, my divorce attorney, I remember towards the end where it was like, should we go to trial or not? And I'm like, what do I do? And he kept saying, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm telling you, if we go to trial, this is what it's going to cost you. And you're going to be in for at least another year. (laughs) And if you don't, the money that you might be able to save, you know, you could use towards these other things. So it's really up to you. I mean, he hinted, but he, yeah, you're right. He never, you know, a lawyer should never tell you, you really should do this. Luckily, yeah, luckily I, I heard 98% of uh, marriages, 98% don't go to trial. So fingers yeah, crossed for me. Right. One, yeah. one of our lawyer friends that we interviewed a few, few weeks ago, his name's Rayford Palmer. And he wrote a book called, I just want this done, <laughs> which is one of our Mount Rushmore books. He's, it's an excellent book. It's not about high conflict divorce specifically. It's about divorce overall, but there's a lot that does apply. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about doing like a, like a, a cost benefit analysis to say, you know, here's the range. Your attorney should be able to give you a range of potential outcomes. If things go poorly, they'll probably end up here. If things go well, it could end up here, like best worst case of, of likely outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide whether it's worth pursuing, but that's how they, they should take an open approach. Yeah. That's really good advice. I like that. Yeah. One of the red flags that we had is if a lawyer, when you ask a lawyer, what level kind of experience do you have? Do you have experience with high conflict cases? If they say we have experience with all cases, <laughs> yeah. because it means be more have, vague for Christ's sakes, never right. lump that together. No. And the last big red flag we have is if when you're asking questions, an attorney starts getting irritated. It shouldn't be like that. You should be able to ask questions. They shouldn't be annoyed at the questions that you ask. They should recognize that this is hopefully, you know, the first time and the only time you've ever dealt with this. It's one of the hardest things anyone has to go through and they shouldn't be irritated with questions that you ask. Oh man. And I hope it's the last time. (laughs) Right. 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 I don't think any of us has another one and another one of these in us. (laughs) Oh Christ. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, So what are some good consultation questions to ask when you're interviewing for a lawyer? Okay, so one of the questions that we came up with is, what's your experience with domestic violence? But mm. one of our people, one of our community had a better way of saying it. And she said, how about something like, how have you supported clients who come to you in a broken state? Well, don't they all? Most well, of them no. do, right? You don't come out of a no. divorce because you are you always come out no, For us, we, we do, because we all of us here are high conflict situations usually. But right. there are people who actually go to a lawyer and they're not in a broken state. They're just like, you know, it's not working. 
Yeah, and uh, people are just fed up. No, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. 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 So again, like the domestic violence thing. Um, mm-hmm. what, another important question we say is what resources do you have connections to? So we know that these crazy situations, it's not just about the divorce part. It's like a lot of people need help with mental health. They need divorce coaches. You know, some people have addiction issues. There's, there's so many ways that somebody needs to be supported. Domestic violence advocates, like nobody, I didn't find out about that till a year and nine months after my ex was out of the house. Oh my God. And I loads of free counseling and safety. Play. I had no idea. So that's, that's really important. Like lawyers who have friends or connections that they can refer you to for things or like a forensic accountant or a certified fraud examiner. Um, you know, people like that where you don't have to worry about looking at it and they do what's called a handshake referral where they know, you know, it's already a trusted resource. They can say, this is our person for this. They're really good. And you, cause you can't think and make decisions. You want right. someone to yeah. give you good names of people that they've already used. That's good. Um, that's really good. Yeah. A big one. That's a practical thing is how do you bill? I don't think I ever asked this question stupidly. That was the <laughs> but, first thing I asked. You didn't ask that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, most attorneys bill in what the 10th of an hour, 10th of an hour for every six minutes, you know, yeah, I'm just going to send a quick email over to my attorney. And then you get these, I'm sure you've seen them because you've been in the legal system, but you get these letters, you know, with your, <laughs> your account summary, that's eight pages long. And it's all these little, you know, two tenths of an hour, three tenths of an hour. And then you get down to the bottom and say $8,200. What? Yeah. I just got my newest, I just got my newest one today. And, uh, I just, I, I open it. I look and I go, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another biggie is what other options are available for resolving conflict like this? So if a lawyer wants to jump right into court, that's all actually, I should say that's also a red flag, but a lot of times there's something called collaborative divorce or mediation, which doesn't always work, but you can save a chunk of money. Like in my own situation, I went in with, we went in with no lawyers. My lawyer at the time was like, I'll just be a consultant. As far as he's concerned, you have no attorney. And it made it easier. We got the parenting plan done immediately, which is huge. My lawyer was like, you just saved thousands of dollars on doing that. So they should always explain that there's other ways to do it besides jumping into litigation, which is the most expensive. Yeah. So I had a friend who went through that um, and well, he wasn't divorcing a narcissist though. So like we were, we were kind of chopping it up a little bit and and he was telling me about how much money he saved by, by doing it through the mediator. And uh, I was like, yeah, but you don't know anything about narcissism and that's not going to work for me. But yeah, if if you can, I mean, especially, you know, if your um, finances are limited, if that's going to work, but yeah, that would, that would have been ideal for me, but unfortunately no. Right. So no, (laughs) so not ideal. Going back to, um, you know, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, all lawyers are eventually going to tell you, especially when you sign the contract, but finding out about hourly fees, paralegal fees, documenting fees, court fees, um, copying fees, those copying can fees, thousands of papers are, are copied all the time. I got one year after my divorce was final, my attorneys called me and said, you know, we've got all these boxes of records and it's been a year. So would you like to come pick them up? And I, it was, you know, those bankers boxes, they're, they're kind of like the hammer mill paper boxes about that right. size. Yes. I had six of them that were full. Six. I need a forklift. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So another question is, how do you stay on top of the law? And so our friend, Joanna Boyd, who's a family lawyer in Georgia, gave us this question. She said a lot of lawyers, you know, they just like, well, I used to be a teacher, but 
you have continuing education credits. So for lawyers, it's called continuing legal education credits. So you want to make sure that they are really on top of the laws. Like in Connecticut, Jennifer's law just passed. So yep. do lawyers actually know about it? We've talked to some who don't. Like they should know that. That's a big thing, especially for domestic violence cases that often involve narcissists. So Jennifer's law, as I understand it, is um, like treating emotional abuse equal to uh, domestic violence. Is that right? Well, so Jennifer's law expands the legal definition of domestic violence. So it's right. not just so it's like psychological, um, yeah, financial, right legal, yeah. revenge porn, like a lot of other things. It's not it's not equal. It just takes these other things into account, especially when considering restraining orders and child custody cases. Right. Yeah, I was doing a little research, but that's not um, I'm in New Jersey. I believe you guys are in New York. Is that in New York yet or no? That's Connecticut. Right. Yeah, it's, Connecticut right? it's in the works in New York. I'm, I, you know, Lisa and I don't live together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about 12 minutes away in White Plains, New York, and Lisa's here in, in Connecticut. So mm-hmm. uh, in New York, there's a bill that's in the process right now of um, that's very similar to Jennifer's Law. It's called Kira's Law, yeah, and Kira's I think law. it just passed partially in the House. It might have to go before the Senate, but it's in the works. Good. But a lot of states like Oklahoma just has a bill that was a coercive control. We think that the wave is is coming with coercive control laws. Yep. Yeah. California, Hawaii has it. Yeah. I heard um, recently that there was, uh, I think it was some case in the UK or something, but they just first used the word gaslighting in Mm -hmm. a court. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I know. That was like a month or two ago. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then the last um, question that we think is really good is how would you handle a case like mine? Um, Because it also talks about the, you know, gives the lawyer a chance to talk about his or her experience, but also to see if they've actually paid attention to what you've said. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah, See, I knew I had you guys on this show for a reason. (laughs) You can't lead off with that question. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really great advice. How would you handle a case like mine? Yeah. Cause then they can recap yours back to you. You know, there's also those sort of subjective type of things where, you know, how do you have experience with a certain judge when you find out the judge or like, you know, how many cases have you settled out of court? You can ask something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like what's your experience with, you know, custody battles, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love that one. How do you deal with cases like mine? That's good. Yeah, no, a great answer would be like, well, we had several other cases <laughs> and we did this and we were successful. I mean, that's right. that's the ideal answer. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So and by the way, we should say, um, you know, that what I'm looking, I'm looking at some papers. We actually just signed the contract last night for our book, which contains this information. It's coming out in about eight months. So Excellent. <laughs> a whole right. chapter on finding the right attorney. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll all keep yeah. a lookout for that. Um, all right. So after you go through your consultation, you select a lawyer, um, and you know, you've, you're, you're willing to jump off that cliff without a net and, uh, you're going to serve your narcissist, you know, now, now a lot of us don't directly serve our narcissist. It goes through, you know, our lawyer, our court and stuff like that, but what's the best advice you can give to somebody for protecting them themselves when they're going to serve a narcissist for divorce? Well, uh, yeah, I will get us started. (laughs) (laughs) That that absolutely can be an inflection point, right? When you when they get served, the the mask can come off. They're knocking. You know, a lot of narcissists have like a Jekyll and Hyde personality. It's where a narcissistic injury, and you might get a rage yeah. back. Exactly, you will and get the rage. You're going to yeah. get the rage. Mask comes off. There's no more Doctor Jekyll. It's 100% Mister or Mrs. Hyde, mm-hmm. right? So depending on your case, if there's if you're worried about, I mean, the top thing is 
your physical safety. You know, if it's a like a physical violence, like you're in dangerous situation, you, you go to your local domestic violence center. You you know you, you need to make sure that's a, that's taken care of. But um, ideally, you will have already by that point like gathered all the financial information, the bank statements, all that stuff, because there's a good chance they're going to change all the passwords. They're going to deny you access to everything. So if you're not forced to leave in a hurry, like you know, if, if you have time to plan, make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you pull the trigger on that. Yeah. yeah. So there's actually a term for that called safety planning. And so back to that whole thing with your local domestic violence center, or you can even call the hotline it's like a national domestic violence hotline and just say, I need some help safety planning. And it's not just about your physical safety. It's basically like long checklists of things that you need to get ready. So it's good to do that beforehand because you never know what will happen once they're served. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our book on that too. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thing um, in my situation, so I didn't realize, so I'm kind of like a technologically savvy guy, as you might've guessed during a podcast, but so um, I did not realize though that, so like I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have a Mac computer, and I didn't realize that my iCloud was connected to my son's iPad. And so all of the passwords that I had were connected to my son's iPad. So she had access to my bank records, to my credit card passwords, to, um, you know, evidence that I was creating for the case. Um, So make sure, you know, for the listeners out there, make sure that you... You know, in, in the you know we're in 2022. We got to protect ourselves when it comes to technology because we don't know what they have in terms of passwords and stalking and all that other kinds of crazy stuff. And, and in some cases, things like keyboard trackers and like like some people, if they're really technically savvy, can they can put spyware on your phone? Yeah, uh, they, they can put little. They have those Apple tags that they can put in you know in your car or in your kid's backpack. So that they always know where, yeah, there it is, right? I'm I'm holding it up for the, for the listener. Now I am holding up my Apple tag and yeah, it's a good way to stalk somebody if you wanted to, but find your keys when you lose them. (laughs) The good and bad of technology, right? Yeah, Yeah. right. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's not, yeah, I was like, wait, I, I lost the. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, well, we were talking it. about we were talking about stalking and we were talking about um, you know tracking with technology and things like that. Yeah, and I know we we also have a chapter on that, and we do a lot of these interviews ourselves. We do Instagram lives instead of podcasts, mm-hmm. um, and we are focusing recently on interviewing people involved with digital security, tech security. Um, like private investigators, those kinds of things. Right. Bodyguards, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. And so we're going to be talking about we, that. We just had a client uh, last week who their smoke detector started beeping. Yes. And so she was like, that's weird. And then the other, uh, there was a second one. And her husband had, before he left, had installed both of them at about the same time. So she's like, that's odd. And she takes the takes the smoke detector down. And, and like, it was just something was funny about it. Well, it turns out, it was, it had a camera in it. It was transmitting. He had, he had put a camera in, it, you can buy these things. Right. Smoke detectors that have the, the leading brand. It actually has the brand name on it of the leading brand of smoke detectors. And, and it, but they were spy devices. Right. And, and they have, they have, uh, they're wired to Wi-Fi. Imagine the thought process you have to have as a narcissist to think that's acceptable. I prefer not to. Uh, right? Yeah, I can't even get into that. I can't even get into that mind state. Oh my god, I got you. You can't see the goosebumps on my arm, but you said the goosebumps yeah, on my it, spine. It's creepy. Scary. Yeah. 
Creepy. Yeah. So protect yourself, obviously, when you're serving a narcissist. I like, you know, um, you know, uh, I had a restraining order placed on me falsely, but um, now I think like, I'm like Oprah, I go around like, you should get a restraining order. You should get a restraining order. You should get a restraining order. And everybody should protect themselves because uh, it, it certainly serves the purpose. That's for sure. So after you've served, you know, um, your narcissist, how can you, cause you know, for my, in my situation, mine's kind of like an anomaly only because I was, I had to leave my home, but some people still stay in contact, you know, with their narcissist because of the kids or they can't move out or they don't have anywhere to go. How do you kind of disconnect with a narcissist when you can't go completely no contact if you're living together or you're separated or can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, well, there's, there's, when kids are involved, um, this is when it's really important. If there are no kids involved, you really don't have to be in contact, but but when kids are involved and you're going to be sharing custody and you're going to be settling custody during the legal process, mm-hmm. um, there's a, it's important to understand that there's a disconnect between the therapeutic community, which then they'll tell you a good th- and they're right that the healthiest thing is to go completely no contact when you've got somebody who's an abuser or all that. Um, but that bites you in the legal system because you look like you're not um, willing to co-parent. And it really makes you look bad and it can turn custody against, you know, in favor of the other parent. Mm. So you need to be very strategic in your communications. Um, You keep it as short as possible, factual, um, cooperative, not like, you know, love Chris at the end. (laughs) Friendly. You're not going to be antagonistic. You're going to be friendly, but you're going to just stick to the facts and keep it brief and stay focused on solving the problem, whatever that may be, or coming up with some kind of solution, inviting the other parent to participate in discussion. And yeah. always in writing. Always in always. writing. Yeah. Yes. Luckily, um, I, I actually enjoy this very much. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the Our Family Wizard app. I use it. Yep. Yeah. And that's the only way um, that I'm able to communicate. And I had um, I had a guest on a few episodes ago um, and she was a licensed therapist. Her name was Katie Gillis. And uh, she she had a great it, it's almost in line with gray rocking. Um, but hers is called the NEB technique, N-E-B. And it stands for necessary, emotionless and brief. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's so encompassing for. You know, like the only way to communicate with a narcissist is necessary, emotionless and brief. But I'll give you a little quick anecdotal story. So I'm going through um, our family wizard and I have I still have to have contact with with my ex, my next. And um, so my daughter, I have, I have a daughter who has a medical condition. It's not overly serious, but um, I want the names and the phone numbers so I can contact the doctors Um so I can, you know, get her the treatment that she's looking for. And my next will not provide me with the names of the doctors or their contact information. So um, I'm going, and obviously on our family wizard, it's getting kind of heated because I'm saying like, just what's the problem? Just give me the names and the numbers. And she's like, well, you should know. Clearly you're not an involved parent. I'm like, yeah. It's typical. Well, I mean, the good news is that won't reflect well on her, you know, in, in the system. Right. Eventually, if she does that all the time, you you can build a narrative around that. Right. Yeah. Well, she's also gotten my children vaccinated against coronavirus without consulting me. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, she's kind of she's playing hardball. But I like that you said that you're you're at least putting some uh, some hope in me that uh, she does get held accountable. That's for sure. Yeah. So our family wizard seems to have like the like connections with all the judges and lawyers and all that because it's very they're whoever their marketing person is. They're brilliant. 
But um, there are others like Talking Parents is another one. There, yep. there are several different apps. Wizard tends to be the big one. Mm-hmm. And it's got more than just an email system. But the email system is so important because it can't be, you can't modify the messages. So if you send me an email, I can go down like to like three messages ago and change what you said. You know, mm-hmm. I can edit the text and, then send it back and you don't notice. And then seven iterations back and forth, we're in front of the judge and you're holding up your evidence. I'm like, I never said, I didn't think I said that. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. so our friends, it takes care of that. It's, it takes that gaslighting element out of it when everything's in print and can't ever be deleted. You know, because because you know how a narcissist is. You know, their text messages are a mile long, and then oh, you know yeah. when it's on when it's on uh, our family wizard. You know, I I try and stick to the necessary emotionless and brief thing. I, I think that's even taking it one step forward, uh, one step above gray rocking, and I love it. All right, so that's good for for talking about you know uh, going no contact with with uh, narcissist. I love that, Lisa. You were touching on this uh, when we were offline. How can you cope with the emotional roller coaster after separating and navigating the highs and lows of leaving your narcissist? All right. So that is like, first of all, it's to recognize that it is an emotional roller coaster and that it's a long one. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be days that are triumphant, whether you believe it or not, there will be. Yeah. Um, I just have a pink cloud. I call it the pink cloud. But what we always say at the beginning of calls, especially with our legal abuse support group, is that there's no need to apologize for crying cursing kids and barking animals because not the barking animals part, but there's always going to be moments when you're like miserable and feeling like I can't do this anymore. I I just had a call earlier with a client who was absolutely hysterical for 10 minutes. And I just sat there and said, this is part of the process. Like, this is what you have to do. I want you to remember what this feels like because this is what so many other people feel like. And I bet that you never pictured that this went on in this country, in these courts, that any parent would ever have to go through that. No. So I think a lot of it is realizing like, this is, this is normal and you are supposed to feel like giving up. Yeah. But especially when you have other people there, like divorce, high conflict divorce coaches who have been through it or coming to a support group, not just of people dealing with narcissistic abuse, but people dealing with legal abuse, like what we have, because it's a different, it's a different type of abuse through the legal system than when you're just dealing with an ex, dealing with the courts, dealing with the terror, you know, I mean, it's, and, and having everything out of your control, it's really, really scary. So, so I think surrounding yourself with people who totally get it. And we say that with our groups, it's like, the details are different, but we're all dealing with the same personalities. Yes. You know, yes. There's people we call our babies at the beginning who are still in the relationship. They're like about to file or, you know, for divorce or to separate. And then we have what we call our grizzled veterans like me, or we have some that are in the system longer. I mean, for me this month, it's my eighth year. Yeah, they're, they're the, they're the I don't feel like eyes. I should say congratulations for that. I feel like it's the wrong word. I know. They're, they're, I know. they're the ones with the eye patch and the peg leg. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, the grizzled vets. It's not, yeah, it's it's not always that the grizzled vets know so much more. They do, but what what the grizzled veterans have is there's a sense of calm, which is shocking because people are like, "Oh my god, eight years! How do you like? I can't even deal with it. I'm right at the beginning." That's because you learn to live with it, and when you have the people who are ahead of you, actually, Chris and I came up with the term. Do you want to talk about? No, that go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You say it because okay. I do. So yeah, we, we talk about like people who aren't necessarily divorced coaches, but who have been through it and like who are the grizzled veterans. 
they can be so much help to the babies. We call them, you know, the, the term Sherpas, you know, what Sherpa is. No, I've never it's heard that. The Himalayas. It's the guides in Nepal, in the Himalayas that help people like who are Find climbing Mount Everest okay. or other, okay, yeah. the there. They're the, the, the guides who can help you through it. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. That's so we always say like you need to find your Sherpas. Like we're Sherpas because we're ahead. And the thing with us too, that our, of course the people in the legal system are all like, we don't want to hear that right now. Mm-hmm. But like we have this incredible love story. We've been together for almost seven years wow. and this is in the midst of chaos. I mean, I've been in the legal system for so many years too, for longer than that. And, and still with all of that, we've managed to find this like true healthy love in midlife, which a lot of people are like, oh my God, like I'm too old or I'm done. And it's, it's not true. So and, I and feel you're like both coming out of a, you're both coming out of abusive relationships. You found right. each other. Yeah. Your, your mission is to help other people get through it. I mean, you are truly the Sherpas of the world. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, any therapist, when we met any therapist who said, it's not time to start a relationship, but we didn't plan on starting a relationship. Right. Like I wasn't looking to start a relationship. It's yeah. sort of like, all right, I just like I had two years. We talked about safety planning. I had two years mm-hmm. of the, the end of the marriage while I stayed in the house planning my exit carefully, mm-hmm. like very stealthily. And then finally got him out. And then it was like, okay, cool. Like I get to date. Like I'm in my 40s. I totally missed the whole inter the online dating thing. Like now I'm going to do it. My friends are like, this is going to be so cool. We're going to live vicariously through you. Like you're going to meet all these people. And then like Chris and I like met 10 right minutes away. later. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we look, we look back in our, at our profiles and it's like, we, we wrote very similar profiles, which is so interesting. Yeah. Our, our kids, my daughter actually has been like, wow, she's interested in that kind of stuff. Like, how did you, you know, and at the time we had no idea what we were dealing with. I mean, I had just filed the papers for divorce a few weeks beforehand. You know, Chris had been out for a while. And yeah, it was about eight months. Yeah. And like I had, I didn't even know that I was coming out of an abusive relationship. I just thought, you know, I'm done. Like it's awful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish it quickly. And then that'll be that. Mm-hmm. Chris had been dealing with it for months and months and months, but he also wasn't, he, you know, still on talk. He was still on talking terms with his ex. It was like we didn't know. And then, as we started talking, we used to talk for hours every single day. I mean, that's what helped both of us heal was having someone who totally understood. And then we started realizing together like this. Oh, my God. What's narcissist? Like Chris read an article. He shared it with me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And our exes are the opposite. One is overt. The other is covert. But mm-hmm. it was a lot of the same behaviors. And it was just fascinating. And so to have someone to talk to all the time. I mean, yeah. We had to put limits because we're like after eight o'clock at night. Like, yeah. I, I can't because I, I like <laughs> has yeah. trouble sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so great that 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 you know like there's a lot of listeners out there who are listening to this and they're probably going like oh ideally that's what I'd want for my healing is you know to go through kind of like the same situation like have that that uh, safety net that you guys both have in each other you know that you well, found each I other could lean on each other. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how it would have worked out between us if one of us didn't have this problem. Right. Because, the, the you know, having this, it's a lot of baggage. Right. Yeah. But really we had it. So, yeah. beyond, you know, we were able to support each other. You know, it's yeah. funny. On, on my last episode, I talked about, you know, I'm a little worried in my future dating uh, situations because I know that women, so I have no social media. Okay. I have no social media except for my dimming the gaslight um, 
Instagram, but I have no social media. I, I deleted all my personal stuff because I'm not going to go back through nine years of me and my ex kissing and having kids and all that kind of shit. Right. But the funny thing is, is that my concern going forward in my dating life is that I know women are detectives and you guys want to look up on, on social media about who I am and figure it out. And I have no social media, but I have a podcast now full of my trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering how yeah. am I going to pitch this in my future relationships? You know, yeah. 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 Oh, well. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But yeah, I love what you said about like you know like navigating those emotions and going through that kind of stuff. And like you know, it was funny just the other day, like um, you know, like because I'm still recovering from all this. And the other day, I was just sitting here and I was doing my work, and uh, my brain, you know, I just had this voice in my head was just whispering. It goes, "I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore." And I tried to ignore it, and it just started getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden, I just started crying, and I just said, I, "My brain was just screaming. I don't want to do this anymore." And it's funny because you were saying like, you know, the highs and lows are so part of it that um, I don't really put too much stock into my feelings, you know, because feelings are fleeting. That's what I always tell myself. So feelings are fleeting. I don't put too much stock in it. And I know that, you know, down the road, there's a version of myself who's going to be sitting on my couch. I'll have the custody of my kids. I will have my money back. I will have a new hot girlfriend and I'll just be sitting there thinking, you know what? I can't believe I just survived those last couple of years of my life, but I did it. And there's a better version of me somewhere down the line. And I'm excited for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're going to be happier than you ever have been in your entire life. Cause you're going to be so grateful yeah. for everything for getting out that's of that. Right. You'll have such a contrast that, and that's part of our story too, is like, we spent half our lives with these people or I, or mm -hmm. I did my, I was in a long relationship, but mm -hmm. you're just like, Oh my God, it's so much better. Like yeah. life is so much better. Yeah. Well, and you really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's go back underwater a little bit again, though, because um, <laughs> all right, we're, we're talking about how to, how to cope with that emotionality. But still, like I said, I want to navigate kind of like the, the road of divorce. So um, I was listening to one of your episodes that you did with a divorce lawyer, and he was talking about how to avoid unnecessary lawyer fees. Um, and one of the things he was talking about is like, you know, not fighting over the the super trivial parts of divorce, like like picking the, you know, can I pick the kids up at three or 3.30? Well, she said 3.30 and she won't let me come at three. And now I got to get in touch with a lawyer. And next thing you know, you're paying, you know, $425 an hour because you're fighting over three or 3.30. So like, what are some of the, you know, like things that you can do to avoid unnecessary lawyer fees? One thing for me is um, I like to compile all my grievances and throw them at my lawyer on Friday. And maybe have like an hour long call on Friday with my lawyer. Um, but do you guys have any advice for that? How to keep your lawyer well, bills down? Well, I, I mean, that's, that's a great one. You know, if a question is not a burning question or a topic you want to discuss does not need to be talk, talked about right now. One of the things you can do when I, when my case was going on, I would spend hours sitting on the uncomfortable wood bench in, in the, our county courthouse with my attorney. The attorney's meter is running, but we're not in the courtroom. So I bring up all the questions and I got such an education just sitting on these, these horrible wooden benches that still traumatize me. <laughs> um, going back to the, the question about, um, or when Lisa brought up asking about how the, the attorney bills, mm -hmm. you could also kind of build into that question, like what things can I do myself? Mm, that's exactly right? what I would say. I you, you can make the copies. You could go file, you know, the, the lawyer prepares the documents, but you could bring them over to the, the clerk or wherever they need to be filed. Or, you know, there's lots of different things. Um, certainly you're not going to, every single thing I did this, this was such a big problem for me. 
um, if life had a rewind button. Uh, but, you know, ever sending every little thing to the attorney, you know, a lot of the stuff the attorney doesn't need or, or needs in digest form, but not, oh my God, she said this. And then you throw it over the wall. And as we said earlier, attorneys bill in tenths of an hour or so, the meter runs mm -hmm. and it adds another line item to the end of the, the bill you get at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I became best friends with my divorce attorney, which cost $100,000 that year, which I'm still paying off for decades. But, mm -hmm. um, and he's like a wonderful person, but I had, you know, I was telling him everything and using him for emotional support. Like, that was a mistake. That but was my mistake thing, in the beginning, too. Don't use your lawyer for yeah, emotional support yeah. for anybody listening to this. That's my mistake. Everybody has a role. Everybody, you need a team, and everybody has a role. The therapist is for support, plus, you know, if you have a divorce, some coach, high, you need some high conflict divorce coaches for that emotional support. Right. Well, so that's what I was saying. Like, you know, having the team, it, it, a lot of us just use the lawyer because that's the first person that we talk to who understands. And that's our ally, mm -hmm. your friends and family. We always say like, they kind of get it, but a lot of times they don't, and they can say hurtful things, maybe unintentionally. Sometimes you have a therapist that can be helpful too. They don't understand legal abuse. And then you could have like a domestic violence or well, domestic violence advocate could be that too. Um, but then that other, like, so we have lawyer, therapist, friends and family is the, uh, well, divorce coach, but for us, like with narcissists, high conflict divorce coach, because so a lot of the stuff we train our clients in is things that a lawyer could do, but you don't need to pay that at high of a rate to do. Like we prepare our clients for court in terms of presentation, targeting their documentation, preparing for negotiation. Like some lawyers do that, mm -hmm. but most of them don't. And then a lot of people end up on our doorstep. Like I, my lawyer didn't even tell me or like my lawyer's not even calling me back. So we're like the, we say like, we're like the bedside manner. We're the friend that gets it. I like that's that. much cheaper than your attorney. <laughs> and so we help you become like the teacher's pet of clients because you're a mess. Don't go bring your mess to your lawyer. Like, come to us. We'll help you straighten up your mess mm -hmm. and make you into this wonderful, easy client. And lawyers, as we know, because a lot of lawyers that we interview say, and I had it with my attorney, luckily, like, if we like a certain person, we won't bill them as much. We'll oh. let them get off. And we have clients, too. Like, they'll get free. The lawyer's on lunch. The lawyer will talk to them during their lunch hour and not charge them at all. That's you nice. know, so you want to be like the teacher's pet of clients. Yeah. So we can help help get you there no my, there's also my lawyer likes me and he hates my ex so that's that's good for me i get a couple credits here <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's also a trend and it, it hasn't really gotten a, a stronghold in the u.s yet but in canada it's starting to where they call it in canada unbundled services we have an attorney friend named david Bourneau. he's in ontario i think in toronto right yeah he's i in, think so in toronto um, who, who first introduced us to the topic but i had un, unbeknownst to me i've been doing that already it, it, later in my case, after my divorce, we there were a few other matters that were litigated, and I had an attorney. But I, I was like, I can't afford another like legal battle with you coming into court with me all the time. Mm -hmm. So she acted more like a consultant to me. That part of it. So I represented myself. She didn't officially represent me, mm -hmm. but she coached me on like legally what I needed to do. She was like a law coach. And, and gave me an idea of what I should expect and what I should focus on, that kind of thing. Right. So the unbundled services approach, it's almost like hiring an attorney for like a la carte services. Oh, I like um, that. To do certain things for you where you need an attorney to do those things, but not the full traditionally, like where they speak for you. Your ex sends messages to their attorney who sends it right. to your attorney, you, more bills, ding, 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 up goes the meter, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we you know, certainly don't.
we certainly don't encourage people to handle their divorce pro se, if, if at all possible, you want an attorney for your divorce. Right. But other parts of it, yeah. You, you can potentially, this has been pro se for a long time. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. super impressive. I, I admire the heck out of that, but that could never be me. No, well, that's okay because pro se, you know, I think you have to be either a grizzled veteran or have a really thick skin. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of other elements you have to have. Like you have to be really organized. You and, have to be able to present well. And no full-time job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I, I was going I was going to go back to teaching because I used to teach high school and my master's is in English as a second language. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, now my kids are grown. Like I got to go back and, you know, to this, this other career because I've been mm-hmm. doing other things in the meantime. And, um, but every single time I, I like, I get an interview or something, then it would be like, you're back in court. And it's not just the days of court being pro se. It's hours and weeks of preparation and practicing and getting everything in like the trial that I had this past week, two day trial. I, I mean, this is four years worth of stuff. So I had a document, get it all together, figure out what I think the judge is going to say. Actually, this is what we're going to talk about on Thursday for our Instagram live. I think Chris is going to interview me about that experience of going back. All, I mean, I've been back a lot, but this was a big one. Uh-huh. Um, and just being really prepared yeah. and professional. It's it's a big deal. I really admire that. I, I Like I said, I know I could never do it. And, and it, you're very brave to do it too, because you know a lot of people go to school for a very long time to do something like that. And yeah, it's impressive. But um, going back to what you were saying, like, so in terms of like being prepared, so um, something that I'm dealing with a whole lot is dealing with constant allegations and slander. And um, like, for example- um, Oh yes. I'm sorry? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, that's uh, like, I'll give, you, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So on my birthday, I had my birthday party with my kids and um, went really well. And then supposedly my son came home and uh, according to my ex, he was really um, not, he seemed weird and he didn't want to talk about it. Now he's five. Okay. And um, according to my ex, and I got this letter from my lawyer, eventually my ex pulled it out of him that I told my son, who's five, to go fuck himself. Oh. Okay. And not only that, but I told him that I love my three-year-old daughter more and I don't want to play with my five-year-old anymore. Okay. So these are some of the ridiculous things. And I have, I, I could show you guys videos. I mean, we're on a podcast right now, but um, I had a great time with the kid on my birthday. I have pictures of him laughing and sitting on my lap and blowing out the birthday candles and because she's a narcissist, she thinks if she just says it, it's true. And the oh, lawyer yeah. will print anything because, the, you know, she's paying the lawyer. So that's just some situation for me. But I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are dealing with the constant allegations and constant slander. And um, it's like a smear campaign, right? So, like, what is something that you can do to kind of, like, retain some of your sanity or combat that? Well, yeah. So I'll get it. we'll get to that answer in just a second. But they they do it for a couple of reasons. First of all, they just enjoy it because they know it's upsetting you, right? It's all the power and control and like just wanting to beat you up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in, in like when it's in front of a judge or actually part of you know if it's just correspondence back and forth between the lawyers, it doesn't matter. Nobody's sure. ever going to see it. Good. But if it's something that somebody's going to see, it can be a distraction. Like you've got your solid case, your narrative over here. And they're going, no, no, Your Honor, look at this shiny object over here that has nothing to do with the case. Mm-hmm. And that's where it causes you problems because, like we say on our calls, um, you get in defense mode. And Lisa always uses the analogy yeah. of a boxer, right. like, like in the, the corner, corner 
getting pummeled yeah. and cover, uh, covering up, and you never get to throw your punches. So you've got to like very quickly like get the spotlight back on the things that matter. And then you sit um, there too with your lawyer, like, are we going to punch back? Are we going to do something about this? But I feel it's better to to let it roll, you know, like water off a duck's back. I feel like, you know, it depends it with the depends. territory. Yeah. That's, that's the tricky part is knowing what parts to respond to, to keep the record clear mm-hmm. and what parts to just ignore. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very tricky. Yeah. So your, your question was how to, how to deal with that? Like what do you mean? Like emotionally or how do you um, respond? Well, is there, I mean, is there, do you have to respond to all the allegations that they throw your way? No, no. Kind of, Lisa just touched on a little bit, like it's subjective, right? So you're saying no. Can you elaborate a little bit, a little bit on that? Yeah, you don't, because you have to remember that a lot of times they'll fling stuff at you because they want to engage. Remember, they like positive, they like negative attention as much as positive attention, maybe even more. So they'll do stuff to make you respond because it's so egregious. Like, how could you just let it go? And they think, well, if you don't answer, that means it's true. Right. Then there's something called evidence. So it's, it's almost like if, if they went before a judge, a judge doesn't have a time to listen to all this nonsense and they see this crap constantly. Right. Right. So if someone's going to make a claim like that, I mean, we know Judge Anthony Bompiani says you can respond with just saying, you know, that's not true. And that's the end of it. And then yeah, it really I, is going to. I did one of his webinars and I use that now. Yeah. 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 Because, because then you're, you're done, you've responded, but you're not getting into the muck with them about everything they've said. That's such a, that's such a, a common thing that we see. I'm thinking of one particular client um, oh, yeah. who her ex will write these long missives and she just can't help herself. She sends the, the long thing back going point by point through every single thing false claim he's made and I don't have that much money and there's all this stuff. And we're just like, no, stop. Don't do that. <laughs> I know. I did it. I did it too. Right at the beginning, I did that all the time. Yeah. Because yeah. you're yeah. so out with the, the, the falsehoods. But, you know? but, I want to correct the, I, I want justice. This is wrong. But that's also something, that's a tactic when we cover presentation with our clients where we say the opposing counsel will do the exact same thing. They, while you're on the stand, they fire off false allegations at you and you're so, because it's meant to make you lose your temper or cry. And that way they can an unfit parent. Mm-hmm. Being just discombobulated. Yeah. 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 So, so when you know this is coming, you can't anticipate it. You, you can kind of guess what they're going to say, because again, you know, your ex better than anyone you've seen what that person's been doing in acute, you know, it's coming in court. So you prepare yourself. We practice desensitize you. So it's just like, yeah. Okay. The best part anyway, about it now, the best part about it now is like, and I keep saying this on my episodes. I feel like I was given a textbook, and like this is what she is. And right now, like I'm on, you know, chapter four or five of like what she is, and she fits the bill so well that it's almost like I have like the magic eight ball, and it's like, what's what's she gonna do today? And I and I I. I don't want to feel like a fireman where I'm constantly just going around putting out her fires. Like I know, you know, I just kind of roll with the territory and I'm trying to avoid the unnecessary uh, legal bills. That's really what I'm trying we, to do. We always use the example, the analogy of whack-a-mole, you know, that game whack-a-mole. Yes, oh, yeah, yes, yes. All the, the, <laughs> he comes up and you got to pop, pop him on the head. Just don't yeah. play. Just don't play. Right. I know. You know, it's, it's hard. hard. It's hard. It's easier said than done for sure. Um, yeah. So one more thing I want to touch on is co-parenting co-parenting with a narcissist. Like I said, I have a five and a three-year-old, um, you know, 
I get very limited uh, visitation now with my children's because of these allegations that she's put on me. Um, but what can you do when a parent is gaslighting a child, you know, like trying to pit one parent against each other? Um, do you have any advice for that when a, when a parent is trying to gaslight a child? Yeah, that's really, really hard. I mean, and that's one of the most common issues that our whole community faces. Mm -hmm. And um, that's like, you know, in college, there are 100 level classes, and there are 300 level the event, that's the 300 level class. That's <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, that's a big that's one. an advanced problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard. You know, a lot of it is trying to validate your kids feelings in general, right? Um, sometimes with younger kids, uh, I know we, we interviewed a, a therapist named Chelsea Bercole, and she said that what a parent can do with a child that's younger is to sort of sit out of earshot during the call. And if you hear the other parents saying things and the kid going, but wait a second, when they get off the call, say, you know, um, I just want you to know that what you thought happened really did happen or what you believe, like, I, that's, that's really that's true. Great. That's great. Yeah, you no, know, like that's, that's like the way you feel. That's the truth. That's yeah, awesome. there was some, but you don't want to real quick. You don't want to do that in front of the accusing. No, parent, no, no, right? no, no. You want to do that no. separate. Yeah. No, no, no. It's just your relationship with your child saying, I trust your judgment. I know I agree with you. Like what you think is true because remember they gaslight us and they mm -hmm. gaslight the children as well. Sure. Uh, it's really hard. Courts don't get involved with a lot of the emotional abuse stuff unless there's some visible effect on the kids. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's really, really hard. You just got to validating their reality. Right. Exactly. Right, exactly. And, and one, it might have been Chelsea, it might have been somebody else, taught us a, a game that you can play. And it's more applicable to little kids, but you can modify it. And it, it's know your truth. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you could say, for example, to your three-year-old, we're going to play, you know, we're going to play this game. I'm going to say something, you know, is not true. And you were going to correct me. So like, for example, little Timmy, the sky is green. No daddy, the sky is blue. I know my truth. And you mm. can do it with like lots of different things to just get them used to the idea that when somebody else says something that's wrong, even if it's somebody who's an authority in their life, a parent or a teacher or something, mm -hmm. you, you know, they have valid that their, their observations and their, what they perceive is valid. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's super important, especially for these young kids, because, you know, they they don't have the, you know, cognitive ability to, to fight this gaslighting. Hell, we don't have the cognitive ability to fight. You this didn't gaslighting. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. so it's so important. We fought for, for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important to fight that. Um, all right. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of the hour. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on when it comes to navigating the legal system? But I had one more question for Chris. But before I get to that, I wanted to see if you guys had any more uh Anything else that you wanted to touch on? <laughs> I can't think of it. I mean, it's such a huge topic. I don't think yeah. there's anything immediate, but just know that 80,000 people approximately in America alone deal with legal abuse. It's yeah. a whole new level of post-separation abuse. Like once you get out of this crazy relationship, dealing with the courts. So it's important to educate yourself and get some help about how to deal with it and know that it, there's nothing that there's no quick answer. There's nothing that can just make it stop. Everyone's like, well, I know, I know other people have to deal with it, but I don't really want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't eat. I talk about this sometimes. The, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix movie, a marriage story. No, I have not. No. Well, it's, it might trigger you, but it is, it's, it's, it's really, it's a really good, um, 
depiction of how the legal system, like the, the family law system, the divorce, like divorce business, just chews people up just to make money. I don't need to watch um, a Netflix. So, I don't need to watch a Netflix yeah, video. It's happening yeah. right now. Yeah. And the couple <laughs> didn't even have narcissism as an issue. Oh, yeah. Nice. So it's Adam Driver and um, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson, and they go. I, Lisa always gets mad at me for a spoil, like a spoiler kind of thing. So I've, I've, I'll just <laughs> say that they go through this horrific legal thing, um, and when people in our situation, like I left that movie, which was just incredibly depressing i left that movie thinking oh man if only mine were like that you know <laughs> well listen i mean i'm so um you know considering the fact that i'm going through what i'm going through i'm so glad that i found people like you people like the both of you um you know this community of people that i found has given me such hope and um, such optimism for the future. I'm really grateful to have met you guys. Um, but before I let you go, and, and here's something funny for the listener. I haven't heard this story yet, so I'm excited to hear this. But Chris and I talked offline, and uh, we were talking about the word resiliency, all right? And Chris was telling me that he has a great story that I have to ask him about resiliency. So I kind of want to give you a drum roll because I haven't heard this story yet. And you're well, happy now that like, you don't even remember the story now. <laughs> Mac, Mac, I think I think you're building this up, but maybe I, I I'm not sure it should have been built up this much. But I, it's, it's not so much a story as it, it's um it's really about how resiliency. Like when I was a kid, uh, my parents got divorced when I was 12, mm -hmm. and it was a very difficult thing to deal with. And um, you know, my my dad sort of he didn't quite ghost me, but I really had to be the one to pursue that relationship, and it really taught me that. Um, and I didn't realize this until therapy, like just four or five years ago. Wow. Um, it taught me that love is conditional and parental love should never be conditional. Mm -hmm. And it kind of set me up for what I, the relationship I ended up following, following into. Mm -hmm. um, but having gone through that experience as a kid, I became very resilient. And resiliency is, a, everybody said it's a wonderful trait. But in excess, it teaches you that you can endure anything. Mm -hmm. So... I would tell myself during the marriage when the low points, and there were a lot of those, you know, marriage is hard. This is what people mean when they say that, you know, I should just work on myself, you know, all that stuff. Because I, I don't know, she actually left me, um, which is the kindest thing she ever did for me. Um, but, uh, but I don't know if I ever would have left. I don't know where my breaking point was because my resiliency was actually working against me, keeping me in, in a, emotionally abusive relationship. Yeah, I used to say like the the whole happy wife, happy life thing kept me sick for a very long time because I was constantly thinking, well, if I do this, if I do that, if I give this, if I give that, if I buy this house, if I buy this car, if I do this, and eventually I just sit there and I go, I have nothing left. And yep. um, this whole situation, if nothing else, um, has taught me that, yeah, that is one of the most paramount qualities that the majority of the people in this community have is their resiliency and their ability to bounce back when things go wrong. So um, I love that story. I love that story. And it really shows with, with uh, you know, the kind of work that you guys do and the outreach that you have really does show your resiliency. So uh, I really- Well, I'm glad it didn't disappoint. I was worried there for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I did build it up. I'm, I'm kind of your hype man, but you know, it's good that I'm your hype man. <laughs> 
All right. Well, listen, guys, we're coming to the end of the hour. Thank, thank you to Chris and Lisa so much. Again, they're um, from Been There, Got Out. Um, you could follow them on Instagram. It's been underscore there underscore got underscore out underscore. Um, they also are on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, you name it. And you can visit them on beentheregotout.com as well. Um, Chris and Lisa, thank you so much. I really was looking forward to this interview. And I'm so glad that you guys joined us on Dim the Gaslight. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. We'll do it again sometime. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Until next time, everybody.